Hello and welcome to the podcast of Tech EU. I am your host, Andrew Degler. In today's episode, I would like to share with you an interview with Michelle Yu, the co-founder and CEO of Supercritical. So Michelle and I, uh, we dove into the crazy world of uh, carbon removal and talked about the different offsets that you can buy on the market and also about the rocky roads towards net zero. I'm Michelle Yu. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Supercritical, and we are a software platform that helps businesses get to net zero by measuring their climate impact and selling high quality carbon removal offsets. And carbon removal is the only type of offset that gets you to net zero, unlike traditional offsets. Hmm. Okay, we will talk about all these uh, intricacies uh, in a minute. So I still don't understand it fully, I have to say. Totally. Uh, but first, uh, about yourself. So your your journey seems to be interesting. You uh, you were a founder, and then you moved to the to the investor side, and then you moved back to the founder side. So can you can you walk me through that? Yeah, exactly. So I started um, a company called Songkick back in 2007. We were part of the early Y Combinator class mm -hmm. uh, back then. We raised subsequently raised from Index and Sequoia, and we exited the business to Warner Music. And we were we were a live music ticketing and discovery app. We grew to 20 million monthly uniques um, and did 100 million in gross ticketing transaction volume through our app by the time I left. Um, but after leaving Songkick, I had time to kind of reflect and learn and I, I realized what a what an urgent challenge climate change was and I decided to figure out what I wanted to do next and and wanted to learn a lot more about climate change so I joined local globe which is a seed stage fund here in London they've invested in city mapper zoopla wise and the you know iconic tech companies really just to give myself time to learn about climate tech um, I made a couple of personal angel investments, as well as looking at climate tech for local globe. And it was really while I was there that I kind of came up with the idea of Supercritical. And it was when um, the founder of the fund, Saul, kind of tasked me with joining the working group to get the fund to net zero. And I found that journey of learning, like, what does net zero mean? How does a, a business like a VC fund or a startup get to net zero? I found that whole process very frustrating. And I knew from my days in consumer that if we didn't make it as easy as possible for people to act, people just wouldn't because there's too much inertia. So I started Supercritical super to do just that. Right. And uh, yeah, Songkick was actually, uh, still is a great service. I'm a user, Thank more you. of a window shopper, though. I don't really go to concerts yeah. that often anymore, but I, I, I still like the uh, notifications pop out that there are some concerts happening in the vicinity. Yeah, of, uh, hopefully in uh, the next year we'll all start going to gigs again. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And uh, another more of a personal question. So how does it all connect uh, to, to your studies? I see that uh, you studied philosophy and English. So how does it uh, how does it fit? <laughs> <laughs> That's a great question. I mean, I think as an English major and a philosophy major, I've always felt like a total outsider in the tech world. You know, I'm not technical. Um, I don't code, but I've always been interested in kind of the cultural impact of tech. And I think as a as a writer, I I really believe in the power of communication and and the and the, like the aspects of running a tech business that I really identified with was getting really into the heart of the customer and understanding them and talking to them and having that empathy for what customers care about and where they are in their journey. Um, but I think on the on the kind of super critical side, the the aspect of um, the company that I'm I'm most passionate about is in understanding what policy around net zero exists, how companies can come to understand their responsibility and making rigorous arguments around that. So yeah, I, I don't have the traditional tech founder background, but I think being an outsider has helped me and and I'm certainly like I care about communicating well and you know leading well and, and hopefully my communication skills reflect that. Do you still get to write a lot? Yeah, I love writing actually. And you know, I as as like 
the thing that I indulge myself in is whenever we do, you know, PR comms, like I care a lot about what we write. And I think that I, you know, I write everything on all the copy on our website, the way I communicate with customers, I write there as well. And, and being able to do more is something I love, I love doing. Right. So super critical. Uh, let's start uh, from the beginning. Uh, what is the name about? That's a great question. Um, so super critical is, is the, the state between uh, like liquid and gas that you can, you can convert carbon dioxide into in order to inject it underground for storage. Mm -hmm. And that's what some of our early stage carbon removal technologies do is it converts carbon dioxide into super, into a super critical state to store it underground. But I love the additional meaning of it that, you know, this climate, Climate change is a super critical, urgent priority, and everyone needs to care about it. So I love the double entendre aspect of the of the phrase. Uh, you're a true wordsmith. Yeah. <laughs> I see. Now this is very interesting, and uh, I'm really interested in this whole idea of uh, putting uh, carbon underground. I just wonder how much underground space we've got for that. Uh, anyway, and th that's one of the questions I have for later. Once again, but uh, uh, first, uh, the company itself. Uh, uh, how many people do you have at the moment? We're quite small still, you know, we only started this year, so it's early stage. Yep. We're, we're still hiring, you know, the foundational team and yeah, we're early still. Right. And, uh, and but, but you have already raised the uh, funding, if I'm not mistaken. It's been uh, uh, two million uh, uh, pounds uh, in a pre-seed round uh, earlier this year, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. We raised two million pounds in pre-seed. Local Globe is our lead investor. And, and one of the things I was able to do with that round, which I'm very proud of, is raise um, from half women on our cap table. So that's like high profile, amazing women like Alice Bentink, the founder of EF, Evelyn Bork, you know, CXEO of Bupa, along with a lot of other amazing operators that have been super helpful to me so far. So what a nice coincidence that uh, uh, the venture firm uh, that you've been with for uh, for a couple of years is is the lead investor in your, in your new yeah. enterprise. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, we're real, I'm really lucky to have them on board. And I, I feel really lucky that I got to know them in that in those two years of working there, just like how they work and how they operate and get to know the partners there really well. Right. And I have to say that two million uh, uh, quid uh, in a pre-seed round sounds quite a lot. Uh, sounds like quite a lot. It sounds more like a more like a US uh, number really than uh, than a European number. Uh, I, I would say we have uh, Series A rounds uh, smaller than this <laughs> sometimes. So like, uh, uh, how does it work and why did you need so much money at this stage? Yeah, I mean, I'm not that into the VC hype cycle of inflated rounds and how, you know, how it all works. I think that having done it before with Songkick and, and raising from high profile investors, I was just very thoughtful about what I thought I would need to, to, to prove traction in this market and what I thought I would need to hire amazing talent because, you know, the first... 10-15 employees are so critical to your success. Um, and I, I don't think it's that much. I think that there are plenty of pre-seed rounds raised on a deck that that's a lot more. I just was I was thoughtful in putting the plan together with my co-founder around what we would need to to get to product market fit and prove traction. Right. I see. And so how long do you think it will take uh, for you to start looking for the seed money? Or are you already? Um, no, I am not already. I'm very heads down focusing on customers right now. <laughs> I see. Uh, so let's talk about Supercritical itself and uh, the market you're in and uh, things that you're doing. How is it different uh, from uh, the other carbon offsetting uh, players on the market, first of all? That's a great question. Um, I spent a lot of time looking into carbon offsets. I angel invested in a couple of companies that are in those markets. And 
the more I looked at conventional offsetting, the more I just was so just infuriated by what is allowed to be bought and what what passes as a, as a carbon offset. So in the offsetting world, there are conventional offsets that essentially pay other people to stop emitting carbon dioxide. It's paying people to avoid emissions. So that's things like clean cook stove projects, renewable energy projects. But if you think about the global challenge of getting to net zero carbon dioxide emissions, you your company emits a ton, you pay somebody to stop emitting, your ton of carbon dioxide is still out there in the atmosphere warming the planet. Whereas carbon removal technologies are actually these early stage technologies like direct air capture that literally absorb carbon dioxide from the atmosphere and bury it underground. So in that world, you emit a ton, you remove a ton, your company is at net zero. And I think the broader climate context to this is we need to remove 10 billion tons of carbon dioxide a year annually in, in a few decades. And we've only removed a few thousand tons with these technologies to date. So if we wanna kind of have a chance of saving the planet and staying alive, we need to scale these technologies to billions of tons and no one's really focusing on that scaling challenge. So we sell carbon removal exclusively. We don't sell emissions avoidance offsets so that these are early, you know, our early adopter customers can start to be in, involved in scaling the carbon removal technology, then remove their, their climate impact from the sky. Does it mean that what you're selling is more expensive? Yes, it does mean that what we're selling is more expensive. But I think that that's the cost of, you know, the carbon removal. And we have high ambition customers who are willing to spend more to have actual climate impact. And honestly, before I started the company, I interviewed many, many companies who bought conventional offsets and, um, you know, got to carbon neutrality. And what I heard over and over was, when the consultant offered them the carbon offset portfolio, it was so suspiciously cheap that they didn't really trust that that it was doing anything. So they doubled their spend, tripled their spend just to make sure they're covering themselves. So the conventional offset on the market today is about $5 a ton and our customers mm -hmm. are spending on average 150 pounds per ton. That's a very big difference. Yeah, huge difference. But that's like what it takes. And I think that's what it takes to have real climate impact. And just to put all these uh, tons uh, in uh, context, uh, for uh, like, uh, can you just tell me what uh, a different types of company would need to offset uh, every year? Yeah, just that's to a really great question. So we specifically work with tech companies, so software mm -hmm. businesses, and that is both because um, I think software companies understand the need to have climate action. Their employees are asking them about it. It's a talent brand thing, but also tech CEOs, you know, care about climate change. But um, the other the other reason why we focused on tech is like kind of a one a, a lesser known fact about global emissions is that the tech sector actually has more emissions than the aviation sector in total. And people don't really talk about that. It's not really well known. But if you think about all the flight shaming that's going on, actually, we would have a lot more impact if we addressed the emissions from tech. Um, and, you know, part of what we do is we help customers understand where their emissions are coming from. And some of the biggest sources that we found for our customers is online advertising spend, the kind of work from home missions from their employees set up at home. Um, food and drink is actually a big one, purchases and procurement and cloud computing. So we kind of help businesses measure their carbon footprint as a starting point so they understand where their emissions are coming from. And still, what uh, what kind of uh, what kind of numbers are we talking about here? What would be an, a yearly number for a tech company of different sizes, maybe? I think it really varies. I mean, the the kind of average we put out there is about two and a half tons per employee. So obviously, as mm -hmm. you grow, your emissions grow, but that's the per year that is. Yes, exactly. 
Yeah, this is uh, okay. So, uh, so we're talking about so for for a hundred uh, people company, we are talking about uh, two and a half times hundred makes it two hundred and fifty, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yes. that's right. As 250 uh, tons a year at 150 pounds. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm gonna I'm gonna look it up on the calculator. I'm not. Uh... So basically, it would be 37,000 pounds and a half uh, per per year for a for a yeah. tech company. But that Do ends you, up being the... about like uh, I think it's like 350 uh, pounds per employee per year. So if you think about that mm -hmm. in your overall spend per employee, it's actually not that much in terms of the budget. Right. So do you actually see a lot of, let's say, demand uh, for uh, these particular kind of carbon offsetting among yeah. tech companies? Yeah, absolutely. I think that the, the companies that we work with, they actually really are motivated to get their team engaged in learning about these technologies. And, you know, when you hear about some of them, like direct air capture, it's a fan that filters carbon dioxide and injects it underground, or enhanced weathering is a means of accelerating the natural erosion process where carbon dioxide is absorbed into the rock through rainwater and enhanced weathering crushes up rock to increase the surface area and spread it out on land to accelerate that absorption process. These are really amazing, cool technologies. And I think tech teams really love learning about it and, and kind of having access to it. So what we do around the carbon removal is, you know, the, You've, all, you've probably have already seen like Microsoft, Stripe, Shopify, they've all made carbon removal purchases, but the average tech company of 100 per people can't access these suppliers. So by creating a marketplace, we're able to aggregate demand and give these companies access to the same carbon removal suppliers as what's being bought by Stripe, Microsoft, and Shopify. And that's really so exciting for the customers we work with. So do you mean so you mean that uh, uh, these smaller companies uh, can't get uh, uh, access to uh, these same suppliers because they're just small? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. Understood. And uh, yeah, it's just, uh, I'm just wondering, and I understand that you're not uh, uh, doing uh, this uh, particular thing, you're a marketplace, but like, are there, is there enough even space in a way to uh, bury all the, all the carbon that needs to be removed from the, from the year? Yeah, so the IPCC has done kind of modeling and estimates around these various removal methods and the kind of estimated capacity. And they, they have, kind of predicted with a patchwork of, of different removal solutions, we can add up to 10 billion tons removed a year. So that's kind of another reason why we think a portfolio and a marketplace is so important because there is no one technology that can scale to 10 billion tons a year removed. So burying it underground is just one method, but there's things like biochar that converts it into a stable form that can be spread on land as well. There's just lots of different methods. And I think the other thing to note is I know that Tree planting has so much press and people love the idea of planting trees, but there's not enough land in the world to plant enough trees to absorb all the carbon we need. So we do need these technological solutions. Right. And your own business model is, uh, as any other marketplace, you take a few on transactions. Yeah, well, we're, we're a SaaS-enabled marketplace. So we do the carbon footprinting bit, and that's the SaaS mm -hmm. subscription. So we, we charge a fee to measure the carbon uh, footprint for each customer. And then we also take a take rate on the marketplace transactions. Right. Uh, if, uh, and then I just uh, really, uh, the last probably question, like, but, but the most broad one, and this is something we can talk about uh, for, for a long time. Uh, can you take me on the journey and show me around the market itself? What's, uh, what's the landscape like of these uh, carbon offsetting players? Because I know there are so many different uh, companies uh, approaching this from different angles. Uh, what's, uh, what's it like? What's the industry like? As in carbon offsets in, in general? 
Uh, as in, uh, for uh, the market you are working on, as in like your competitors, for example, or your peers on the market, let's start with that. Yeah, I, so I think the, the carbon market is so nascent that I'm just excited to see any startup join, join <laughs> the space and, and try to make a contribution um, because we'll need the market to scale in order to address climate change. So there are great companies that are working more on the vetting side of the offsets. So Silvera is one that looks at tree, uh, like tree projects, forestry projects, and, and vets, you know, gives a rating around how successful those projects are. Pachama is mm -hmm. another great one that works in the, in the nature-based solutions, working at, on um, the forestry projects. I think that the thing that we've really doubled down on is in carbon removal, and, in, and there are, like, as far as I know, there aren't carbon removal marketplaces that offer such a broad, broad range of removal solutions, because it's only in the last couple of years that people started paying attention to all the various technolo technological solutions. I mean, the, the companies that were inspired by are Stripe and Shopify and Microsoft, who as corporate buyers have you know, promoted carbon removal and done so much to explain the difference between conventional offsets and carbon removal. And, and those are the companies that we really look to and are inspired by. Interesting. Are there any other ways so there is uh, carbon removal and uh, there is uh, uh, what you described at the beginning, so paying for uh, stopping uh, or reducing the emissions. Uh, uh, what else is there for uh, companies that want to uh, decrease their carbon footprint? Yeah, so I, I think it's worth noting that, I mean, the first step for any company is to reduce their carbon footprint before they remove, because it's always cheaper to stop emitting than to pay, you know, 150 pounds to take it out of the sky. Um, and there are obvious things that, companies should look at. And that's why the footprint is the first place to start, because it's a it's a holistic audit of all of your activities and which are the biggest sources of climate impact. So a lot of the businesses we work with, you know, there's a lot of activity that they're doing. They have a green Slack channel. They have employee groups that are motivated by this, but they do a lot of ad hoc stuff like recycle and not have water bottles or, you know, switch to LED bulbs. But honestly, those things are tiny in comparison to the actual sources of climate impact. So that's why a carbon footprint report is the first step. And based on that, after we've done that for a customer, we can give them recommendations on how to reduce. So that might be incentivizing their employees to switch to a renewable energy provider, because that's a big source of emissions, switching their cloud provider to one that runs on 100% renewable energy, you know, stop serving meat and the staff lunches, because that could be another big source of emissions. It's actually quite counterintuitive. I kind of equate it to pre, you know, calorie counting, like until you start looking at the nutritional label, you don't really have an intuition for what's bad for you and what's good for you. And we, we really need to gain that intuition about our carbon emissions as well. And that's what a carbon footprint does for a company. And that's the first step, really. Right, and if we and if you also focus uh, for a minute at uh, uh, these uh, uh, carbon uh, footprint calculations, yeah. again, there are a whole bunch of uh, different players uh, who uh, do these audits. How different uh, the results may be that come from uh, different players? How unified is the methodology that you all are using? That's a great question. I mean, the the emissions conversion uh, database is like publicly a public database maintained by Bayes, like the, you know, mm -hmm. it's a government department, as well as in the US, the EPA. So kind of what translates a mile you drive in a car to how much carbon dioxide that emits, that is like standardized, publicly available. I think that the the nuance and the judgment calls around um, some of the supply chain emissions. So do you measure your cloud computing emissions and include it? And that is 
people decide as and when how much they want to measure around that stuff. And, and we very much advocate for including as much as your supply chain upstream and downstream as you can, because that's what you're responsible for. That's where you're spending money. That's how you're making your decisions. And that's where we really double down on advising our customers on, on including that. Right. I understand. So, Michelle, you are, uh, you're a founder. Uh, you have uh, launched an, a very interesting startup in a very... Um, yeah, in a great niche, in a very important niche, uh, you've got your demand, you've got your supply. What are your challenges still? What are you trying to solve now? That's a great question. I think that my great challenge is in cutting through the noise of greenwashing and all the various just things that companies are doing without really having that like integrity down to what their what their climate impact actually is. So kind of cutting through the noise of greenwashing and making sure that people know what matters around their carbon emissions, know what a real net zero commitment is and and um, kind of focusing on that. And that's why, so I don't know if you're familiar with Tech Zero, which is an initiative here in the UK that's trying to get as many tech companies to sign up to a net zero commitment. So they've mm-hmm. got amazing founding partners like Wise, Hopin, Revolut, Onfido. We've partnered with them to kind of to mobilize the tech community here in the UK to get businesses to make that commitment because they've they've have the highest ambition net zero commitment you know out there. And I think communicating that to the business community, like you should do this now, why it's so urgent, your t- your employees are asking about it. That communicating that challenge and making sure that people have ambitious commitments is is very important. And when you're talking about uh, the noise of greenwashing, can you explain uh, to me what, what that is, maybe with examples or something? Yeah, I think going back to the conventional offsetting um, piece, like one of the key uh, concepts of offsets is whether your dollar spend was additional in making that offset happen. So in a world where you didn't spend on that offset, would that project have happened otherwise? So for mm-hmm. example, the European Commission did a study of offsets and they found that 85% of the projects were not additional because the project would have happened anyway. So for example, when you fund a renewable project, you can't really say that that's additional anymore because renewable is now cheaper than coal. So people are transitioning to renewable and whether you pay for it or not, it's going to happen. So that that is like an example of greenwashing that I think people are spending money on things that don't have impact because they, they there isn't a rigorous enough vetting process. And I find that just a total shame, like it's a waste of time and money. So you put the responsibility on on the buyer in this case and not on the people who sell this uh, stuff knowing that it's not... Yeah, no, I don't put it on the buyer because, you know, as a tech company, why should I be an expert in offsets? I should be able to trust the seller, but you can't trust the seller. That's the problem. You can't trust the verification bodies that exist. It is just a a wild, wild west of people making up, not making up claims, but just like there's no, there's no regulation around it. And that's, Mm -hmm. I think ultimately that's what's needed. But in the, in the short term, like, I want to work with partners who trust what we're doing, that trust our science. You know, we have a scientist on the team who vets the offsets mm-hmm. ourselves to make sure that we're having legit claims. And among your suppliers, uh, are those mostly like larger companies? Are those like startups or something in between? How does it uh, how does it look for you? No, I mean, a lot of these companies are startups themselves. So I, mm-hmm. I saw that you, you'd done an interview with Peter Reinhardt, the founder of Segment, and he's now gone on yeah. to start a carbon removal company, Charm Industrial, and he's you know, one of our suppliers, and they are very much a startup, still very okay. agile and very nimble. Yeah, this is, this is very interesting. So I hope I will be able to talk to him again, maybe, uh, about uh, their technology. Yeah. Uh, but uh, for now, Michelle, thanks a lot uh, for taking the time to talk. This is it uh, for my question list. And uh, if there is something that I didn't ask about, if there is anything that you would like to add, now is the time. Please go ahead. 
No, I think I covered everything helpfully. Thank you so much. Great. Thanks a lot. And uh, good luck with everything that you're doing at Supercritical. And this is it for today's episode. Thanks to Michelle for joining and a big thanks to you for listening. If you like our show, follow us today wherever you listen to podcasts. And if that places a possibility to rate and review this show, please do that as well. Our audio engineer is designed by SoundPulse, that is sound-pulse.com. Your questions, suggestions, and opinions are always very welcome. Please send them to podcast at tech.eu. This was TechEU Podcast. I'm Andre Degler, and I will talk to you again very soon. For now, take care and enjoy the rest of your week. Bye-bye.